why should I believe you? That's like the last thing. And I think that's the hardest because people throw, you know, people throw metrics out like crazy or they throw terminology out. And there's a lot of other ways to build credibility. There's a lot of other ways to build that, that trust and that link. And that's what you need to get somebody over the, over the hump for conversion. Welcome back to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks. This is the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship and everything in between. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., Chief Information Security Officer. And today, our guest is Joel Benj, Principal at Message Specs and Self-Described Message Therapist. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks thanks, uh, for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so we're going to start where we always do. Uh, just give us your quick and dirty of how you got into cyber. All right. It's kind of a, kind of a circuitous path, right? So I'm going to start back in the 90s. My background is in theater, education, video games. So naturally, I became an IT guy in the, <laughs> uh, in the late 90s, right? The help desk kind of got me there. I did uh, help desk at NASA. I did network uh, operations, security, compliance, policy. And when I got to the federal government, somebody looked at resume they go uh what's this nickelodeon on your resume yeah it was a theater thing and they said oh you're a nerd that talks good so we're going to put you in front of people and then i spent seven years at homeland as the uh, uh primary cybersecurity communication manager at department of homeland security wow and, uh, so it got a lot of you know communicating big programmatic things uh across the department up to Congress, even writing the, uh, you know, change your password as frequently as you change your underwear emails. Um, <laughs> I had a chance to get into a startup, which is like a whole another story over beer sometime. Um, and uh, when that folded, I ended up in marketing. So uh, the marketing agency I went to primarily serviced the Department of uh, uh, Defense and Intelligence, cybersecurity startup. So it was like, it was like right in my wheelhouse. I did that for nice. five years and uh, now I'm on my own helping other nerds talk good. So, you know, I love, I'm still in the cyberspace, you know, I've got my little flipper, I screw around, but I do it because I like it, stay fresh. But what I really love doing is helping the people that, that do the things, talk about the things that they do. And uh, nice. yeah, so that's what I do. Nice. Well, welcome. You're on what we're going to call the vendor side loosely. So that means the CISO gets first swing. Yeah, I'm kind of amazed by that uh, by that resume because I was like, if you're doing comms at Homeland Security around cyber, that job's either like excruciatingly boring or just ridiculously exciting. And it's like all on the same day. All on the same day. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. You, you get that three o'clock uh, uh, data call from the executive secretariat and you've got to be like, what are the three most important bullets that we can send up to Congress? And you know, only one of them is going to get read. So you've got to hit all the components and yeah. It, but most of the time it was sitting in policy meetings, trying to help them communicate these really technical policies um, mm-hmm. to people who don't know, don't care. So, you know, Unre- unrelated to the question I'm going to ask you though. Uh, I think looking at some of the, you know, last couple of congressional hearings around internet internet usage i think they could still use a guy like you but yeah damn out there no it's for real (laughs) yeah not not on the government salary would i do that ever Uh, again (laughs) 
Good call. Um, so yeah, so you drive a very unique value proposition for what you do at Meshed Specs. And uh, it, it's particularly niche from a marketing perspective because it would require you to have a lot of client-side perspectives in order to calibrate your products and advisory for your clients. Uh, how did you build those relationships and, and how did you get those folks to open up about where sales messaging has failed them? You know what? It I... I kind of sit on both sides because again, I've been, I didn't talk about the startup area, but I've been in their seat. I've had a lot of those same challenges. So, you know, I come at them from a, from a spot of empathy when I'm talking to the, uh, um, you know, to the vendor side, but then I'm also, I've also been in the rooms on the buyer side and I understand the conversations that are happening there. So I just really, I've always looked at myself, no matter where I've been as like an advocate for both sides. And mm. I don't, you know, I'm kind of like Switzerland in that way. I don't pick sides. I'm, <laughs> I'm in it to make sure that, that, and I know you guys are chuckling because that's kind of like what we're, what the show is set up about. But yeah, I, I'm here to really like unite, uh, which I know you guys are. And, you know, I'm here to make sure that, that the, the vendors who do the right things can get in front of the people who need the right things. Right. So, and I'm, I'm really honest about what I know and what I don't know. Again, like I said, I've, I'm uh, I'm a nerd that talks good. I keep myself fresh, but you know, I also am able to be that that devil's advocate and that dummy mm-hmm. in the room when I'm in front of a, a super technical um, person and say, "Hey, uh, I, I hear what you're saying. I think I grok about seventy percent of it, but you got to slow down. You've got to balance." And 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 you know, I, I'm all about educating and. I think I also build these relationships because I give way too much stuff away for free. I, I would have a conversation <laughs> with somebody for an hour and then I'm like, I really should have charged for that. And, and they're walking away smiling and happy. So I can only hope they come back and want more. I mean, that's on brand though. Our last guest, uh, Jeff actually talked about uh, in his kind of sales methodology, you know, he, he gives four things away before he even tries to ask for one. So you're yeah, on Jeff's point, a man. great guy. You know, I've, I've known Jeff for years. He was, he was actually one of our um, our Gartner contacts at my startup. Uh, when nice. We so I've known nice. Jeff and I go way back. I, I bumped into him at, at DEF CON and I was like, hey, how's it going? He goes, how's it going with you? I haven't seen you in like five years. So, you know, the community, it, it, I know we'll probably talk about community a little bit later on, but it's really the big subject that I'm, I'm into, which is like, I like the industry, but I love the community, right? Oh, I want the industry to do better. Because the community needs it. Yeah, I'll definitely nice. tell me to say hi. George, it's on you, buddy. Let me ask broad strokes, where does messaging start in your mind? And I'll say, because from the marketing side, I have seen big vendors, either publicly traded companies, whatever, and I can see a different message on the website. I see a different thing at the booth. I see a different thing in their emails, right? So it sounds to me, as the casual observer, like field brand sales may not be operating off the same playbook. I have also been in a place where we in the marketing side have tried to dictate that and, you know, sales goes rogue and inserts like flaming FUD into the email. And you're like, no, 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 you can't do that. So for you, like, where would you start? Where would you start with the messaging? That's an awesome question because because most people do get it confusing. They're like, "Oh, you're a marketing guy, yeah. Help me figure out what my my tagline and you know what how I should structure my my 
my, uh, my campaigns and I'm like, slow down there. It's like, we got to take like five, six, seven steps back. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, what I do is I advocate for a first principles approach to messaging and it involves, it's not marketing. Um, it's not sales, it's not development, it's everybody. So, and it, it depends on the size of the company, right? So I love to work with, you know, early stage seed to be round, uh, companies because they have smaller teams and you Mm. can get to the people who had the big idea, the people that had the epiphany, the leadership, um, you know, you work with one of these mammoth behemoths and you're like you never talk to the founder you're talking to uh you know three three sections removed director of um but there's some value even in that so what i what i try to do in in my engagements and workshops is advocate to have a representative from everybody and i literally mean everybody i want sales i want marketing i want leadership and i want devs i -hmm. want the nerds i want the people that are building the shit in the room. And that's sometimes hard because they see me, you know, and, and, you know, all crazy Nickelodeon guy and I'm doing, I'm pulling cards out to get their talk about their fees and their feelings. And, you know, the tech people are like, I just built a thing, man, you know, yeah. but, they, <laughs> but they, they have a great opportunity to advocate too. Right. So, uh, so what I try to do is I, I can tell, like, like you're just saying, I can tell when a company's not in alignment. When you've got a lot of, um, you know, little fiefdoms and people are going rogue and people are making up their own stuff. They've never read the messaging guidance from marketing. And, you know, I don't believe that it's on marketing to come up with that stuff. I think this is a fundamental uh, decision that's not necessarily top down because it has to be, you know, think what I learned in the government is dictating things from the top never works. Yep. And I also learned that it's also very difficult to bubble things up from the bottom because that takes that takes an awful long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can get representatives from all strata of the business and all functions and somehow get them to drop their barriers and just talk real, not make it an academic exercise, uh, you really can start to find like what's common. And I'm, I'm happy to talk kind of like about the model and my approach and, and how and why it works. But at, at the end of the day, it's just literally no egos, just dropping, you know, the, well, I'm from marketing, so I have the words. It's like, no, you don't. I mm. want to figure out what the intent and what the, the background and what the sentiment is. We can worry about the words later. But if everybody's circling around a similar movement or a similar raison d'etre, to use my fancy French, you know, which I'm not even sure I pronounce that properly. You know, if we're all circled around that, then we can all be moving in the same direction. The manifestations can be different, right? Depending on whether it's social or email or whatever. But if the brute message isn't in alignment, it's like it's discordant. So, yeah, nice. I dig it. Yeah, like I think you're bang on, though. Part of how um, George and I like really became friends was exactly that was like, we were both busy and tired and it was kind of like a, can we just cut the bullshit kind of moment? Like we just like <laughs> yeah. talk to each other and uh, a lot of really good things kind of spun out of that. And I think anytime I've ever done that in my career, good has generally come of it. So I think you're bang on in the approach. Um, it kind of raises like the, the next question pretty naturally, you know, talk to me about the value of, of emotional intelligence in both sales and marketing, you know, cause I know, 
on the client or the practitioner side, the difference between an effective leader or pro um, versus someone who's a washout often comes down to their EQ and their ability to effectively communicate, right? Like the real question is, can you develop EQ or is it something that you're only born with in your opinion? So I, I don't do it. So I've always stumbled into all the, the learnings and my model and everything. And, you know, again, I, I, I grazed around school and tried a whole bunch of stuff. So, you know, I couldn't define EQ if you asked me to, but I, you know, I often, you know, come up with these concepts and then someone smarter than me goes, yeah, you know, that's a, that's such and such. But what I know is that there's three reasons to talk to somebody. And this is kind of how I advocate um, and try to teach people. And I do think, I do believe people can learn to speak better and communicate better. Um, So there's like three different reasons to talk to somebody. It's emotion, logic, and credibility, right? They got to mm. like you. They got to understand you. They got to believe you. And that that's not me. Turns out there's this guy named Aristotle and he called it Pathos, <laughs> Logos, and Ethos, right? Yep. So, um, and so that's part of my, my model and my method, which is like, you don't have to understand, um, you know, everything about your audience. You just have to find one thing that, that connects with them. And that's that emotional level because people don't connect on a technical level. Even mm-hmm. if you're the nerdiest person in the world, it's like, that's a table stake thing. And that's not going to get my attention. What's going to get my attention is when you find something in me that is relevant to, to you and that we can build that bridge on. And so it's like the first thing, emotion, they got to like you, or at least you've got to get their attention. And then the next is like that logic. It's like, okay, what is the relationship here? We have to define it. We have to make sure that, that we're providing some value. Um, we have to provide, uh, you know, some direction for what, what, what is the definition? And a lot of people are like, we'll jump directly out of, you know, emotion to either it's good emotion, you know, we're changing the world for good, or it's a fear, uncertainty and doubt. Oh, this is so scary. And you should just buy because what the hell am I buying? Okay, great. We got that out of the way. Why should I believe you? That's like the last thing. And I think that's the hardest because people throw, you know, people throw metrics out like crazy or they throw terminology out. And there's a lot of other ways to build credibility. There's a lot of other ways to build that, that trust and that link. And that's what you need to get somebody over the, over the hump for conversion. Um, You know, there's, there's tangible, there's intangible, there's social proof. There are third-party validation statistics. There's all kinds of different ways of showing proof and credibility. And as technical people, we just like drop back to the, the barest numbers that we can. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's not good enough, right? Yeah, I, I agree that we definitely like throttle way hard in any one of those without keeping them in balance, right? So yeah. it's either like all fear and no trust or it's sort of smarmy feeling but like not enough logic and clarity around what it is you're buying you know it's sort of you gotta keep it in harmony let me ask this then as a follow-up how important then is the ability to um basically present a narrative because i know that you know when i go to events whether it's like an industry event or just like my friends or whatever which out of the bar or party something that always attracts my attention is when I walk in on someone telling a really captivating story, whether it's funny or whether it's serious. 
Mm-hmm. And just based on their ability to carry that attention, I want to get to know them more. And I, and I do automatically like them, generally speaking. Do you think if people invested a bit more time in knowing how to build and tell stories, that would help them get along in this path? Yeah, oh, he's 100%. pulling out a book. Yeah, I'm pulling out. So, yeah, no video, but I have got tons of books here, and uh, I haven't read them all. I'm not that smart. I graze, right? So, I, I'm I am captivated by this concept of story, and I, I think it's been perverted, kind of in a way, in the marketing space. George, you're probably familiar with the story brand book and the story brand yep. model. Right, which is a bastardization of Joseph Campbell's hero hero tale, and so every cybersecurity message is the hero's tale, and it's not true, right? I actually saw a really good. I'm, I'll get back to this story point in a second. I saw a really good post the other day, which is the hero's tale doesn't work for everything, right? You there are uh, there are so many other stories over there. So the book that I just grabbed is called. Uh, the storytelling animal, how stories make us human. And it, it literally is talking about the psychology going all the way back. I'm about halfway through uh, a third of the way through it um, about like, why, why do stories captivate us? And uh, the theory that's coming out of the book that I'm pulling out and that I also truly believe is that's how we show empathy. It's how we demonstrate our, our lived experience or another lived experience and how we share because again, if, if, if I only communicate to you in facts and figures and technology, it's, it's table stake, it's non-differentiated, and that's not enough to get somebody's attention. So I think story is critical. In fact, part of my model, so um, uh, I, can't, I can go ahead and talk about it now. I'll just introduce it real briefly. I basically ripped off Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, he's got this mm, pyramid nice. of, yeah, of yeah. needs. And uh uh, I always make it a public service to say that uh, that he he stole that from the Blackfoot Native Americans. So where Maslow was saying, how yeah. can I become a better me? The Native Americans were saying, how can we become an actualized society? So he basically ripped it off and inverted it. And I, I mentioned that because uh, as a Viking American, I stole that shit back for myself and I ripped it off myself. So I have a, a pyramid which has <laughs> six layers in it. Um, and it's like the heavy duty... Uh, high density, low emotion stuff at the bottom, technology features, and then it filters all the way up to um, at the very top, you've got like these low density, high emotion things like ideas and story is the second layer. Mm -hmm. So story is so critical because again, that's how you're showing uh, empathy. That's how you're connecting with somebody. You can have two tools that do pretty much damn the same thing. But the branding and the messaging that comes out of one is going to make is going to attract you more than the other because of the stories that they tell if they're doing their jobs right. And they say, look, you want to use our product because we're just like you. Right. And that's basically what the story says is we're just like you. We get you. We built it because we came from where you came from. We mm-hmm. understand you know, what you go through. I loved what Jeff said on, on the last episode about that sell through concept, which is, you know, you have to understand not just your own story. You've got to understand the story that is happening in the minds of your, uh, of your prospect. And you got to know what the stories that they're telling as well. So you've got to know their experience. So if you can say, look, man, I get that the, the risk officer is breathing down your neck. 
and you feel like you've brought a, you know, a noodle to a gunfight because you don't have enough, um, you don't have enough uh, of the, of the quantitative data that you need. And if I could get the risk officer off of your back, we're not even talking technology at that point. We're talking about, look, I understand where you're coming from and, and what you're dealing with because I've been there because I was you. And that story is again, locking into that, that emotional, but so much more of, of that gut level credibility balance that it almost doesn't matter what the technology is at that point because you're you're bought in now you you know you're going to do your technical due diligence and you're going to look at the technology so that's got to be locked up tight but you know you're going to go up after the vendor that talks to you the way you talk to yourself or the way you talk around you know that that uh language in your uh in your community and that's all story yeah nice all right so we're going to get um over to some exciting new features of the pod. But first I want to ask you, the reason we reached out is because of your unique experience at Black Hat, right? You were sort of, you were Switzerland, you were the diplomat from Switzerland going around, taking these pictures and posting like, like look at these two booths side by side. They're literally saying the same thing. They're making exactly the same claims. They're the global leader in insert category here, right? How can the, how can this entire hall be filled with all the global leaders? So yeah, I would, I would love if you could just take a second to talk about in very broad strokes, what are some common trends and or issues that you're seeing vis-a-vis your observations, your recent observations? Yeah. That, so that was a total fluke. So I, uh, I have this pet project, which I call the periodic table of bad cybersecurity messaging. <laughs> It'll probably become a, an ebook or a, a card deck or something like that. And it's all of those tropes and cliches that you've always seen. You know, we do X so you can Y, secure what matters, blank at the speed of blank, right? So I've got data at the speed of the cloud, at the speed of my business, at the speed of the mission. It's like at this at that point, it becomes just soup. And so I was literally just walking around Black Hat, taking pictures with my iPhone of every headline I could. And then I swipe down, I hit search through the text to just find those. And it's remarkable how some companies aren't even trying, but some companies are also trying too hard. Right? Which is also crazy, again, to remind the audience, in case you don't know, I mean, these booths are like hundreds of thousands of hundreds dollars. Of thousands it's of a, dollars. And that's, that's not paying for employees to get out there and hang out. Like that's just literal construction of the booth and the printing of the materials. It's a lot of investment. So to punt on it, or to not really perform optimally seems like an incredible missed opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And you could literally take a step back and see the same words and see the same messages. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I got invited to, um, to a booth to do a little interview and join another little podcast. Um, and I said, you know, it just feels like we're not trying. Most of the industry is not trying anymore. We're 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 just sitting back on, on technology. We're sitting back on on buzzwords. Um, there's no SEO at Black Hat. You don't have to throw. <laughs> you don't have to throw every term into the in in onto your booth. So I literally have a picture up here. I took a picture of a booth, and on the side of their little little placard, they've got this. ZTNA, SWG, CASB, DLP, NGFW, NACL, ATP, RBI, UABA, SD WAN. And I made one of those up and you don't even know which one it was. 
<laughs> it was NaCl. It's that's the chemical um, uh, sodium chemical chloride salt. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, why did you waste that space with all of those that that alphabet soup? I mean, maybe there's one or two people in that crowd that's like scanning and they're like, they're like, I got to find me a Ueba SD-WAN. But if that, you, that if, was, that if, was George A actually, that's exactly what he was there for. That was what you were, yeah. you were shopping for. I'll, I'll tell you who this was <laughs> later on. But George, uh, George A, let me ask you, how many times, how many times does the buzzword catch your attention? Um, how many times does the, uh, and I'm not talking about like, oh, we've got two guys uh, dressed up like Star Wars and they're fighting over here. That gets your attention. Um, no, imita- imitation Tom Cruise did not get my attention. <laughs> that was way. awesome. Yeah. But, but, yeah, exactly. But how many times, what gets your attention? Is it the, the, the flashy branding and the, the technical words, or is it like that stands out that gets, that's a unique approach. I mean, I'll ask you because you're, you're the one that they're trying to pull in. So I look for two, two things primarily. The first is and it, honestly, it's simplicity of message. Like, what is your value prop? Like, what is in, mm. in one word or not one word in one sentence? Can you demonstrate your value prop? Because usually in a tagline, right? If you, you know, for example, if you're doing like um, you're you're selling a CTI platform, right? If you're talking about proactive security enablement, right? If I see that somewhere, it's like, okay, cool. I'll I'll fuck with that because that's that's what I'm trying to achieve. Like, let's see what these guys are doing. So I'll look for that. So I'll look for, like like you said, a lack of alphabet soup. I'll look for a lack of gimmicks. Not so much that there's like, you know, a lack of effort or investment, but just I don't need the gimmicks. I think, you know, if your t-shirt's cool, that helps. But like, that's it. You look for simplicity. You look for as well as a, as a CISO, are there a lot of people buzzing around it? Right. Mm. And it's not, not mm. for the sake of like the mascot or the F1 car or whatever it is. It's are there a lot of demos happening and are there a lot of people waiting in line for those demos as well? Cause that to me is like, okay, they have a unique value prop. I'm not, not even be looking for what they're selling, but maybe it's going to come up next year. Or maybe I have friends who are also like executive decision makers that are looking for this thing. I'm going to check them out. Those are like the kind of telltale signs of just like clear, concise messaging on what your MVP is. And that, or I should say your unique value proposition and then are there people who are actually interested? So that that referent kind of um, affirmation from other people in the room that are showing like, hey, they're really interested in this thing. I want to be really interested in this thing. So the good you're looking for the lines to the conversations, not the lines to the swag. Like if Correct. there's conversation happening, <laughs> yeah. there's something to pe- for people to talk about. And if it's just scanning and handing over shit, then it's like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go pick up your shit, but I'm not spending any time well, there. I'll put it this way. I spent day one of the business hall actually doing the business evaluation. And then day two, like with whatever little energy I had left before we got, got ready to go to DEF CON, I went around and tried to collect as many t-shirts as possible for my team. Right. But the day one, the actual business part, if you're going to black hat as a practitioner for the reasons that you should be, you're there to evaluate new technology offerings. And if, 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 companies and organizations are really more focused on the flashiness and the mascots and the props and and the lights and all that shit. Like, dude, like, I don't, I don't care about a VR stand. Yeah. What's Mm -hmm. struck me as curious is the coffee stand. 
So they got to like pay for the booth build and like bring in the espresso machine and the baristas. And I am straight up going there for the caffeine, but there's like no part of me that wants to engage because so much of their effort is spent on the coffee. There's actually not a space in that booth, usually the way it's built to have a conversation. It's like super open, loud, lots of people crowding around just in the, you know, the whistle of the, the foamed milk stuff. Well, you know what would be brilliant? Like if they had a booth where it's like, it's like, let's say it's a corner type booth. And you have like an area that has like, you know, a quad of large screens with like four demos running concurrently, mm-hmm. a couple of SEs that are outside, like kind of buzzing around and talking to people. And then if they had like a break room area where if mm-hmm. like if they're going to have like a large scale presentation, have some coffee machines set up, yeah, let yeah. people serve themselves and let the focus be on the conversation. Because if you make the focus on the conversation, you'll build real opening connections, like warm, warm leads that you can follow up with and they'll remember you versus like if I have to stand in line to wait for my customized t-shirt or I have to stand in line to wait mm-hmm. for fucking coffee because I'm thirsty as hell and there's nowhere to get a drink around here, I'm just going to use you for the coffee and leave. Yeah. And to your point, Joel, about conversations, when Danny and I did that study on messaging at RSA, one of the things that we called out was respondents to the survey said they actually wanted to have conversations and they actually cited noise as being a problem. And so what we did was we did try to call out booths that did have well-constructed designs to facilitate. Like you could, there was a big display, but then they had it built. So like even some had a roof that you could like step in and, and see a more bespoke demo, but you could actually have a conversation that was separated from the huge noise that is happening on those warehouse floors. Yeah. And that takes, that takes money. That takes having, uh, you know, resources to build, mm-hmm. you know, some of the best conversations that I have are on the outer ring at the, yep. you know, the, the little teeny tiny booths, nobody's walking over there. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes they've got the best swag because they know that fewer people are going out there. So they're investing in higher quality. This is just a tip, you know, higher quality, lower volume swag. That's the place to go. By the way, on that point too, because uh, one of those I had actually, we had just um, purchased their product and we had just gone through the whole thing. So they were already our customers. We were super happy with them. We went to go see them just like, hey, what do you guys got on the go? What we found at their booth, which I'm not saying every company has to do this because some of these organizations are huge. You had the co-founder, you had the CEO, you had the CTO, the CSO, and yep. you had like the head of sales all manning the booth. And you had a couple of other like lower level SC type folks, but it's like you had the core of the company, you had the brain trust there. That immediately, immediately makes me trust what they have to say a lot more than just like some random person where it's like, I don't know if you were just contracted for this event or you're even an FTE at this company. Yes. Get in the game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to move on. I do want to follow up. So you're, probably heard, you know, George and I had a lot to say about some of the sexist nonsense we saw both at the booth messaging, but you, Joel, sent me something that somebody sent you. So I'm going to call it out here and then we're going to move on, which is just this awful, uh, violent, stereotypical shit that was on this booth. And I will read it. I will, I won't name the company. Um, you know, too long didn't read. I've already sent it to a bunch of friends, so they know. Um, it is uh, protecting your computers like a be more drug dealer. That text is superimposed over bloodied knuckles. And for 
all of you who are not on the beast coast be more as baltimore um it's just represent gr- that's that, yeah. that, that's where i'm at and that's where i'm at yeah that's it's what just I thought. <laughs> gross and unnecessary and um that shit needs to stop don't do yeah. that i'm yeah. i mean it, it literally the picture literally looks like a guy just finished beating somebody up like beat up yeah, his it's wife, gross beat up. It, and and the person who sent this over to me she she texted me yesterday she's like are, are you here i'm not gonna even name the the conference it's like no i'm, I'm not there she goes I don't even know what I'm looking at right now. It's the worst thing I've ever seen. And she said, I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but she sent it over to me, which is why we're not calling them out. Um, but I do want to, I do kind of want to read what she said. Um, and she is a, a growth officer at a, a pretty large, respectable you know, cybersecurity services company. So this is your buyer, right? Th- these are the yeah. people who are, who are looking at your technology And she says, I couldn't even put into words how this messaging made me feel, but I found it generally unappealing at best with a strong potentiality for racially charged and triggering. And she said, you know, diversity in message review is important. I don't know how this thing, she goes, uh, uh, this prevents things like this. I mean, I don't know how that stuff happens. I've always had the theory, um, sorry to listeners for having to repeat this, that when you see bullshit, like the stuff we talked about earlier you know where it was like super sexist or this stuff my theory is one of two things is happening and it's probably both either you literally do not have a diverse team like there's not somebody from a minority or marginalized group that can put their hand up and be like um that's a bad idea because of these reasons (laughs) or you don't have a culture that supports dissent and people may feel like they want to say something but they don't feel safe enough to say it because you know somebody's running it like their own private fiefdom um okay joel we are approaching what i'm going to call a new section so we have run salespeople through the sales gauntlet and now we have the messaging maze which is a name i just made up before we started recording but we were very fortunate to have one of our good listeners send us sample outreach emails. So thank you. You know who you are. I'm not going to say your name because I'm not going to name your company, but I really appreciate that. Goes the extra mile. So what we're going to do here is, Joel, I'm going to read this email and uh, you've had a chance to look at it and we're just going to get your message therapist take on it. So email one, subject line, full-time job. This is what it says. Hi, Joel. We've never spoken before, but I noticed your cybersecurity work at insert company here. It might feel like a full-time job teaching people to recognize and report phishing emails, especially since phishing is still the most common form of attack. On average, companies see an 82% increase in employee ability to recognize and report phishing attacks with our company's security awareness training. P.S. How many of your coworkers can spot phishing attacks? All right, Joel, take it away. So I'll say right off the bat, the, the opening's a little rough, you know, Hey, we've never spoken before. Great. Why are you in my email? <laughs> this is, this is George A's life, man. George A, right. <laughs> you're like, you're like, okay, great. This is close. We will never speak again. It, you know, I, I get it. I understand why there's an attempt at empathy. There's, you know, we're trying to break down the, the barriers. Mm-hmm. I think you can dispense with that. I think, you know, it's part of the job when, you know, your buyer understands that you're going to get some inbounds. So I don't think you need, it was almost an attempt to apologize for sending me this email in the first place. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's number one. 
Um, number two is a side note. Um, nothing against this person. Full time has a hyphen in it. It's not one word. So again, as a words guy, maybe I'm a little bit of a, a pedantic sort, but you've got to really check these things when you're sending them out. Cause that's the first thing that I would have caught on. And I would have been like, there's a low, low effort, low quality. Google should have caught that. Right. That, that's all I want to say about that. I do think that the empathy telling a story that connects with the audience, you know, um, Hey, look, it feels high on So this is what I was talking about earlier. It feels like a full-time job teaching people to recognize and report phishing emails, right? Yes, it does. Right. You, you, you get me. So I a gold star for that. I think that's really a good attempt. It's trying to show that little bit of empathy. Um, you're like uh, way kinder than I, I would be. Cause like, I would just see that PS yeah, but it's like, I would see that PS, like how many of your coworkers can spot phishing attacks? Like, wait a minute, I'm the CISO. So you want me to reveal to you, stranger over open source plain text, the percentage of my employees <laughs> that <laughs> fail to recognize phishing. Right. Right. That was a really awkward way to introduce the CTA. There was no mention to... Hey, if you want to know, so I would have, I would have rephrased this, which is like, if you're curious about how many of your coworkers can spot phishing, check this link out. There's a free tool you can use because the, the, the email is labeled give no ask or call to action. I mean, there is a call to action, mm -hmm. but there was no ask here. There was literally, so one of the things that I also try to remind people is you've got to lead people to that next question. You can't just give people a bunch of uh, statistics and stories and assume that they are going to take the action you want them to take. So it's like someone's doing a threat brief and they're like, this is the result of my research. This is what we learned. But there's no recommendation. There's no ask. There's no next step, right? You need to tell somebody, and so you should do this. And it's the same thing with, with this. It, it would have been a much better if it had said, um, you know, I would have opened with, are you curious about how many of your coworkers can spot phishing attacks? And then I would have gone into a little bit of the, the story, maybe using some of the, some, some statistics, right? Um, if you're curious, I would, you know, I, I'd like to offer you this link, try it out. And then that's, then you walk away and you know, that this is labeled as email one. I'm assuming it's yeah. first in an outreach. But that's great. You're giving you're giving a little bit of um, uh, story there. I'd also say there's a there's that mention in there. On average, companies see an 82 percent increase in employee ability with our tool. Sometimes talking about yourself is weird, and using so I number one I don't believe you. That's a biased statistic. However, if you could have phrased that as a testimonial, or you could have shown that as third party proof, mm -hmm. you know. Having somebody else say something about you is worth 10 times more than you saying about yourself, even if it's a softer quote. Yeah. So that gets down to that proof point thing. Yeah. Um, no pun intended. Um, all right. So to email three, we're going to skip over two, three subject compromised emails. Here's what it says. Hi, Joel. Social engineering, spear phishing, and ransomware attacks are most often successful because an employee has leaked or exposed credentials. Verizon's data breach investigation report found that this was one of the top three causes of successful breaches. Our solution finds leaked or breached emails before they become compromised. 
and you get a summary report of exposed emails, identities, leaked passwords, and risk levels found. Open to learning how this works within our cybersecurity awareness training? Question mark. P.S. Run your check at URL. I gotta say, Joel, also a fan of words. That's a lot of words. That was actually hard, yeah. physically hard to read out loud. <laughs> so that's a really super good point. And this is just a copywriting tip. Read out loud everything that you write because often you don't realize where the run-on sentences are or where your complex clauses are. And you may have to read this thing two or three times to get it, right? So simple language. Um, the first thing right off the bat, it's opening with an attempt at telling me something that I don't know. But if I've been in this industry for more than a minute, especially if I'm a CISO, I already know that social engineering, spear phishing, and ransomware attacks are most often successful because an employee has leaked their credentials. Don't tell me something I already know, all right? Right off, right off the bat. Um, and, I, you know, the, the quoting the Verizon data breach report, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that George A. hasn't had to read the DBIR in like five or six years because every vendor immediately sends you the notes version <laughs> of it in their marketing. You don't have to read it because it's- It comes to you. It comes to you, right? So I'm not, I don't want to poo-poo them at all, but I, I don't think that that's a valuable statement, right? Um, I do, I mean, I think there's value in what this email is trying to say which is, you know, but I think phrasing it a little bit differently, trying not to make it a teaching thing, trying not to make it a, um, uh, you know, a, a lesson, right? That's teaching. That's not really giving. Um, you kind of redacted there, but what they did was they, they mentioned their product and then they put it in an acronym. So um, I'll just yeah. make something up here. You know, I, companies that go, you know, we're not an EDR or an XDR, we're an enterprise predictive response suite. So we're an EPRS. And then they, then they use that algorithm that no, or they use that acronym that nobody knows what it is yeah. everywhere else in their product. Cause they're trying to, they're trying to define something. Make a category. So they're yeah. trying to make a category, which is, you know, you can't pay Gartner enough to do that for you. Um, so then at the very end, it says PS run your whatever, whatever out, you know, acronym at, and at that point I'd already forgotten what their acronym was. So I had to yeah. scan back up. So I felt stupid because they threw a phrase at me that I didn't know. And I had to scan back up through the email and I went, Oh, Oh yeah. That's one of those vanity acronyms. So immediately mm -hmm. it lost a little credibility with me. So I, I'm not a fan of making up a new category, making up a new term, you know, and then you like, just tell me what your fricking product is. Don't, use all capital letters and give me an acronym and try to name it. And I, I know that's a product marketing thing. And uh, you know, that doesn't that's, mean it's right. That, it doesn't mean it's right. But I'll, I'll tell you what, what the, the missing piece is on this. And you know, the statement when they go from the uh, Verizon data breach report, right? So it's like they've uh, Verizon data breach report found that this was one of the top three causes for successful breaches. And then they go straight to our solution, but it's like, Okay, but like, what's what's your insight? Like, what's the value of me mm. reading this email? Because I can read the Verizon report, and I know you have a solution. Why should I care about your solution? You're not providing, like, you're not giving me any value in this email. Nothing that you're saying to me in this thing I care about. Yeah, they're hoping you make that leap in logic, right? This sentence here and this sentence here. Therefore, you know, that's like a... That, that to me is where they fail. And again, it's yeah. like, it goes back to what Jeff said. There's no give here. So why would I take any of this? 
Yeah, there's a there's a big thing that I do with with uh, I actually just I re-recorded my DEF CON talk today because the audio was really bad. So I just posted it up and there's a part in there where I talk about um, the matrix. So not to get all super cybersecurity cliche on us, but, you know, it is one of the greatest movies ever made, at least the first one. And I, I cite that one scene where. Neo's walking up to the bridge of the Nebuchadnezzar and, and Cypher is there and he's looking at all the bank of screens and everything's dribbling down. And, um, you know, he says, hey, are you, is that the Matrix? And I'm not going to do my Keanu Reeves. Um, but Cypher goes, yeah, you know, I don't even see the code anymore. And so if you imagine that same relationship from the perspective of this is your knock or your sock and that's your analyst and he's watching the wire mm. and the CFO walks in and he's, you know, he's, he's like, what the hell are you looking at? The practitioners or the salespeople have so much bias and it's not bias in a bad way. They just know their product so well that they're making those mental leaps and they're yeah. not able to draw that for the people. So, you know, it's again, we know this shit so well because we, we live it, we breathe it every day. And if we don't take a step back from, from our messaging and from our subject matter and look at the things that are going unsaid and that we're not saying. So, you know, George A, to your point, I mean, they jumped over a huge, there's no credibility in this. Um, there's no credibility builder in this. There's no insight. Because they jumped over that, and I bet they—I bet they have it. I mean, knowing this company, I bet they have got a way to do that. But it was just—I'm—I'm I'm plugging in holes in a framework. I'm gonna—I'm gonna present a fact. I'm gonna present a—you know—a statistic. I'm gonna jump to the solution. And there—there there wasn't a—I a, don't—I don't believe there was an attempt to kind of step back, take a look at it, and put your, your mind in the person or put your head in the mind of the person who's not really there every day, right? The CISO's yeah. got 150,000 other things going on. So they're not drawing the same dots you're drawing. Yeah, for sure. All right. All right. We're going to take a break and we will be back for the brass tax portion of the show. Hey, listeners, if you like what you hear, if you find it valuable, please consider throwing us a five-star rating on Spotify or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps your peers find the show. Be sure to follow our LinkedIn page for updates, including upcoming swag giveaways. Now, back to our conversation with Joel Benj. All right, Joel, brass tax time, and we got a couple audience questions, so love to have those. Thank you again. Here's an audience question. Do you suggest problem-focused messaging or priority-focused messaging for vendors? I think we've touched on some of this, but if you want to tease it out, go for it. You know, I, I would say it probably does depend on what your solution is and what your offer is. And again, Ooh. that requires mm -hmm. taking a step back and doing a first principles assessment of what, you're, what, what you have to work with so that you're not just drawing at straws, but I do think problem and looking at that pain point and, and drawing that picture, um, oftentimes does, does work. If with the proviso that that is the problem that your buyer has, right? So maybe this uh. is, maybe this is tipping over into prioritization again. A lot of people, George, a, I'm assuming are selling you shit that is not on your roadmap. It's not on your, you don't have that problem. 
you don't have it's not it's not burning a hole in your in your pocket there's something else and so if that if they're if they're trying to zero in on that problem for you and it's not what you've got then that immediately goes in the trash bin correct sir yeah but if it's <laughs> if it's if it's something that could be like on the roadmap next year i will be honest with them and be like hey like i'm not looking for this right now but i am looking at it you know in 6 months or 12 months or whatever let's stay in touch and that kind of puts the ball in their court. Like, can you demonstrate sustained value over a long period of time until the budgets open up? Yeah, we've talked about that discipline is like, all right, he gave you the marker, but don't like try to close your quarter against his schedule because that's not going to work, right? Like, you just got to respect that timeline yeah. and work with that. Um, George, a., over to you for the next question. How do you like to build messaging to get prospective clients to open up about the, the real problem statements, right? So like typically practitioners like to keep that kind of thing close to chest. Like I know I do not generally reveal my real problem statement until I like kind of trust you a little bit. Um, so, you know, you're interacting with a new sales pro. What do you advise them to be able to bridge that gap? Cause like I'm a pretty friendly dude. There are a lot of CISOs out there that are not very friendly dudes to salespeople at least. What I have found is the worst thing you can do is send is give somebody an open-ended question that makes them have to think. Right. So if you're asking somebody, what are your problems? That is the wrong thing to ask. Right. So the, yeah. the best thing to do is say, you know, in our experience, number one, that's a credibility builder because you're you're showing some insight. You're showing that you've you've had lots of these conversations. Right. So you're setting yourself up as an expert. You're kind of patting yourself on the back. You say, look, in my experience, companies that are in your position are dealing with one of you know, two or three of these things and you rattle those off and you can look for the response. You can almost look, especially if it's in, in person, but even, even over a, a, a video call, you can see when they, when they tense up that, yes, that's, I've got that problem or you can see when they melt or when they phase out, mm -hmm. that's not my problem. Right. So, and, and I mean, again, that's human nature. That's, that's, you've got to have someone in front of you to do that. Um, but you can also just, you know, Again, you, you present them with options and see where it goes. So again, you're not just giving them, um, do you have this problem? No. Do you have that problem? No. Do you have this problem? Why are we having this conversation? Right? Yeah. You're actually, and, you, and there's a potential for you to show value with, by asking them a question, but presenting them with options that they may discover that there's a, there's a problem that they didn't even realize they had. Yeah. Right? So yeah, I think we've heard similar things from, uh, both the practitioner side, I think I'm thinking back to Mike Rogers and also the sale seller side. I think about Maria Graham. They, they both have talked about that particular line of questioning as being valuable. Um, another audience question, what framework do you recommend for creating cold emails? I mean, I got a lot of opinions about cold emails, but you know, framework nonetheless. I'm so despite the fact that I designed a, a messaging framework of my own and I now sell a product around it, I'm not a fan of frameworks at all because I think again, it's giving you a mad lib thing to plug in. Now there's, there's a lot of, and, and again, you will miss those, you will miss those connecting points. I think the value in frameworks is understanding how they work and deconstructing them and then just winging it. So it, it's really funny. Um, not a, not a sales email, but my own social media, like flipping blew up after that black hat post. It's got like 153,000 impressions. I, 
I got a lot of attention from that. And I have people at reaching out to me not to ask me to consult on my, my services that I do. Hey, can you show me how to do what you did? And I'm like, bro, I don't know. <laughs> I have been doing communications and messaging for like 25 years. And it's because yeah. I just know. So maybe I'm maybe I'm a bad practitioner myself because I've got those biases and I don't even see the matrix. I just can do it. But the more so it's maybe maybe the answer is trial and error. You've got to figure out what works best for your message. You've got to work, figure out what works best for your audience and you've got to experiment. So, yeah, I like that. You I like that you called out that if you rely on a framework, then it just becomes the Mad Lib where you like, I mean, this is what we see in these automation tools. It's like insert company name in the smart field here, insert name here, you know, so just, I mean, George Aiken spotted from a mile away, right? I am just one well, it's of- it's even better. It's even better, right? So in most organizations, like when we have staff move on for whatever reason, um, as the, the department head, like I get their emails that get sent to them, mm -hmm. redirected to my inbox. Yep. So I literally get, the same email addressed to former <laughs> staff like five to six times over. Yeah. And that's how I can that's tell. Awesome. That's a brilliant. So someone should do a product where you set up a, a whole bunch of fake employees, like a whole bunch of sock accounts and you detect bad, you know, uh, sales yeah, yeah. Spam by just, Oh damn it. All right, guys, we're starting a company. Yeah. I mean, dude, day, day two in the new gig and I was already getting, I was like, I didn't give anyone this email. They just like guessed at the naming convention and I just started getting, I was like, ah, spam, 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 spam. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Over to you, Georgie, for the last question. Given all the shit we talk about cold approach, what alternatives would you suggest for cold opening if blasting poorly scripted emails and phone calls, which by the way, I get inundated with a shitload of phone calls from going to all these events. Yeah. Uh, crushing his battery life, man. <laughs> yeah, like, um, how would you, what would you suggest as an alternative? Like, and not just an alternative for an individual, but something that could be potentially scaled for an organization. If someone happens to be in like a, a leadership role on the sales side. You know what? I think I think what works best almost can't scale, and that's relationships, right? So you so bingo you know, commenting on on somebody's post, not and not one of these damn throwaway comments that that LinkedIn is auto suggesting to you, but you know, putting a little bit of thought into something and making this connection. I think it, I, I think it probably even was Jeff last week that was like, I would much rather, you know, have a high closure rate of a low target than, you know, email blast and, and, you know, have a 2% closure rate of like hitting a, a thousand people. You're yeah. going to develop much more, um, uh, much more valuable relationships, longstanding high ROI relationships with somebody if you develop it as a relationship. And that's just, you can't do that cold. Yeah. And also just like career advice to sales and marketing people, like you're probably not a lifer. So you kind of need those relationships to when you mm -hmm. go to the next gig. Right. And, um, and, uh, you know, if things go south, those people will also like watch out for you unless, you know, you're just a, they're just a one, number. One more pro tip, one more pro tip. Uh, if someone like makes a post, particularly a practitioner, don't use the comment section to push your product. Jesus so, Christ. Just yes. saying. Yeah, like. However, you, you can use that comment section to validate or you could even push back and challenge with your insights, right? Because nerds love to tussle Argue. a little bit yeah, yeah. over, over, you know, not, not adversarially, but say, 
you know, hey, in our in our experience, or you know what, a lot we've seen X, Y, and Z. Don't even name your company because it, they're if they're if they're curious, this is something that that is super valuable. You don't have to tell somebody what you do. You have to again. It's emotion. You got to make them like you first, mm-hmm. because if you if you put something in my comments that is intellectually stimulating, I'm clicking on your profile. Your profile is where you sell them. Your profile is where you give them the value proposition. They can see the company logo. They can see, um, you know, write that about section so that it's carefully crafted. It can't be like bad. But that's where someone's going to make the decision whether the relationship is worth worth continuing or not, not in the comment. For sure. And uh, also, everyone, this world is very small because <laughs> George and I have seen the same comment just like blasted to like the same 20 friends are just getting like a copy paste and like, well, there goes that credibility. But, oh, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well. Joel, that is all the time we have. This has been really great, really in-depth, and I am very grateful to the listeners for sending in the questions and to you for taking the time to go through them. Awesome. This has been a a super pleasure, man. I've met so many people just out of that Black Hat post. And again, you're right. It's that community. And so this has been great. I love it. And uh, thanks for having me. Thanks, dude. You're awesome. That's it for Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks this week. If you like what you heard, consider sharing this episode on social and be sure to follow our LinkedIn page for updates, including opportunities to submit your questions. New episodes drop every Monday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.